stories from the first watch. This is both a solo game and an experiment in storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Last time on Stories from the First Watch, we first encountered a flashback to the week before, when Killia was trying, and failing, to complete her training as a pickpocket, under the tutelage of the High Fox, one of the leaders of the Grey Fellows. After lecturing her on what it took to be a good thief, the High Fox found out that in fact Killia had stolen his purse, and good-naturedly he decided it was in fact time for her to undertake her final exam. Back to the present, we return to the party, continuing their journey through the Shadow Woods, when Mara noticed a number of strange markings in some of the trees. She identified the markings as gnomish symbols, but was unable to translate them. Curious, the party followed the symbols, until, as evening set in, Kilia unwittingly set off a net trap that caught the party. They found themselves surrounded by gnomes, small sylvan humanoids that were suspicious but not unfriendly. Their leader, the Wood Father, warned the party that any travellers through their lands would not be allowed to pass without paying tribute to their queen. After a short journey through fungus-lit woods, the party found themselves at the mouth of the Queen's Palace, a subterranean cave supported by the roots of a mighty oak tree known as the King of Limbs. Let's see what happens next. Day 2, Night, Party Status, Kilia, 4 of 4 hit points, Elmanda, 7 of 8 hit points, Navi, 5 of 6 hit points, Mara, 3 of 4 hit points, Elwyn, 7 of 8 hit points, Spells Available, Shield. The party slowly followed the Woodfather and his fellow gnomes down the tunnel. It was very small, only around five feet high at its highest points, so everyone apart from Navi had to duck, and Elmanda and Elwyn were practically bent double. The tunnel was winding and lit with the same purple glowing fungus they had seen lighting up the trees above. It descended in what seemed like a spiral with the roots of the mighty tree forming the central pillar. Soon the night air completely abandoned them, to be replaced by the musty smell of soil. After ten minutes the tunnel opened out into a large cavern, around thirty feet in diameter. At the far end was a raised platform, made of wicker, upon which sat a throne that seemed to be made out of living root, with an enormous toadstool as a seat. The wood father halted and bade the party kneel. You are in the hall of Walia. This is the name of the realm and the queen also. Both are one and the same. Then he let out a high keening rasp. After a few seconds he was answered by other voices echoing around the earthen walls. 
and shortly a procession of gnomes appeared from another entrance to the cavern. These latter were dressed in cloaks weaved from huge leaves. At their rear was a taller gnome, whose appearance made the party gawp. Her face was surrounded by oak leaves, which seemed to grow out of a central point above her nose and spiral around to form a crown and beard, leaving only her eyes, nose and mouth visible. Elmanda realised he had seen such faces before, carved into the ceilings of temples and depicted in tavern murals. The Gnome Queen ascended her throne and sat on the fungus seat. I offer my greetings, she said in a voice like the wind keening through the trees. Welcome to our realm. We do not often receive visitors from the outside. Indeed, we do not encourage them. Your people like to tear down our flocks and use their bodies to build their homes. We do not tolerate this. The party members were tense, unsure whether this was a threat. They had surrendered their weapons to their escort and were surrounded by perhaps two dozen of the gnomes. However, continued the queen, in this instance we have need of your help. An evil thing has made a nest in the northern reaches of our realm. They have destroyed much of the flock there and have devoured a number of our people. If you were to help us rid ourselves of these creatures, you would be named our friends. We would help you on your journey. I have been told of your mission and we would give you any assistance you may require. The Queen paused and then looked steadily at them, each in turn. If you do not wish to help us, she said, then we will let you go on your way. But you will not be allowed to return to this realm and we will not aid you against the horrors of this place. You have until the dawn to decide. She clapped her twig-like hands together and the number of gnomes attended on her, bowing. Take our guests to the Warrens and feed them well, she said. They have a difficult decision to make. The gnomes nodded and the party were escorted from the hall to another network of tunnels. Here they found wicker nests lined with leaf matter, which they found surprisingly comfortable. A gnome returned, carrying bowls made from huge seed pods, filled with a red-brown steaming soup that smelled overpoweringly of mushrooms. Hunger overpowered any reservations the party may have had, and they tucked into them greedily. Behind the scenes. The party has met Queen Walia of the Gnomes. I checked with the mythic GM emulator that she speaks the common tongue, and rolling a 39, she does. I felt it was somewhat likely that she was friendly to the party, rolling a 63 when 65 was needed for a yes. This felt very close, so I determined that the alliance would come at her cost. She will only help the party if they help her first. The party now has a dilemma. Will they assist the gnomes and earn their friendship and help, or will they refuse and take on the challenges of the Shadowwoods alone? I think two of the party will definitely have opposing views. 
Elwyn is keen to get to the village of Hollow Hill as soon as possible and clear the place of the threat of a rival bandit group. Narvi, however, is bound by his loyalty to his god and dwarven kinship with the gnomes to help the party's hosts. The other three can be persuaded either way. For each remaining party member, I will roll a d20 for both Narvi and Elwyn and will add the score to their charisma score. The party member will side with whoever gets the highest total. Let's start with Mara. Rolling first for Na'vi, 14, which added to his charisma score is 25. Elwyn, 4, a total of 14. Mara sides with Na'vi. Next is Kilia. Na'vi rolls a 12 for a total of 23. Elwyn rolls 18 for a total of 28. Kilia takes Elwyn's side. The casting vote belongs to Elmanda. Narvi rolls a 17 for a total of 28. Elwyn rolls just a 2. That's only 12 in total. Elmanda agrees with Narvi, meaning the dwarf's arguments win out. Let's see how this plays out. Day 3, morning. All party members have four hit points. Spells available. Shield. The party had discussed the situation long into the night. Elwyn wanted to get to Hollow Hill as soon as possible. The older man was experienced enough to know the four terrors of the woods, and in any case was bound by his desire to help free the captors of the bandits. Hollow Hill was an important site for the Greyfellows. It held a safe house where guild members could hide out, and it was a useful base for travel into the wider realm. If a rival gang controlled the village, it would be a major blow to the guild. Killian agreed, if only because she knew Elwyn was a grey fellow, and she still felt loyalty to the Brotherhood, despite everything. Na'vi, however, wanted to help his ancient brethren. He was keen to know more about the secretive colony, and felt that they might strike up an alliance with the dwarves, should the disputes with Forlorn ramp up. As a cleric, he also felt it his duty to Kazan to protect his kinfolk, and do good where possible. As pragmatic as ever, Elmanda knew how hard it would be to get out of the Shadow Woods, and wanted as much help as he could get. And Mara, meanwhile, was simply fascinated by these strange creatures and wanted to spend more time with them to learn their ways and any magics they could provide her with. The two thieves realised they were outnumbered and reluctantly agreed, on condition that they leave the woods as soon as their task was complete. At dawn, after a short sleep, the party members were woken and presented to the Queen. Na'vi stepped forward. Your Majesty, he said. We will accept your offer. We shall rid your realm of this evil. The queen nodded, and a thin smile played across her lips. You have made a wise choice. And ordered the Woodfather to prepare them for the mission ahead. So what is it we're facing then? demanded Elmanda. 
if we're going to come up against something horrible, I want to know what it is I'm dealing with. The Woodfather paused. Nobody truly knows, he said. Whatever it is, moves lightning fast. It attacks, kills our people, and then disappears up into the flocks. We only know that it is big, much bigger than you, human. Oh, fantastic, muttered Elmander sarcastically. We'd better be getting paid a lot for this. Mara wasn't listening. Her face was wrapped. She studied a scroll that she'd been given by the Woodfather. It was a spell, one that she had not come across before, but one that she felt she could make use of. It was in an old form of common, and she was having trouble translating it, but gradually the details were coming to light. It was a spell of great energy, concentrated into a pulsing blast that seemed to be of use in combat. Finally, she could help to defend the other party members, who had all fought so hard to keep her alive. The gnomes had brought other gifts too, or rather, not gifts, but help. Two grizzled gnomes, large of their kind, presented themselves to the party. They were named Nisa and Tomta, and were armed with a short bow and a spear, respectively. They said little, speaking common haltingly. The Woodfather told the party that these two were among the best of the gnomes' warriors, and would lead them to the area where the creature had most recently been seen. The site was around five hours' journey northwest into a rocky highland area of the forest. After a short, nervous breakfast of fried mushrooms, nuts and acorns, the five party members, plus their gnome guides, shouldered their packs, bid the rest of the tribe farewell, and left for whatever horrors awaited them. Behind the Scenes The party's ranks have been temporarily swollen by Tomta and Nisa. Both are level 2 fighters. Nisa, the senior of the two, has 11 hit points and is armed with a short bow. Tomta has 9 hit points and carries a spear made of a sharpened branch. Meanwhile, Mara has been gifted a scroll containing the text for a spell. It's not clear how the gnomes came into possession of this, but what is known is that this is an invocation of the magic missile spell. It is unfortunately one use only, but it does mean Mara has a temporary opportunity to help out the others in this dangerous mission. And speaking of which, what is it they will be facing? We know that it is a large creature, much bigger than a human. I will roll on the basic fantasy forest encounter table. Oh no, this is going to be bad. Day 3, Midday. Party status, unchanged. The party trudged through the forest, moving away from the tunnels of Walia. If possible, the landscape was becoming even more wild. As the terrain began to rise, the oaks and beaches of the lowlands began to give way to great pines soaring up into the sky. Huge moss-covered boulders lined the pathways that the gnome scouts picked their way through, and the party came across a number of waterfalls that sent vapour up into the air, giving it a murky quality. The sounds of birdsong and other animals became noticeably quieter 
and the party were horribly aware of the silence. The group eventually came to a clearing with a brackish pond in its middle. At one end was a high bank of rock, like the altar of a temple, with what looked like a cave opening at the top. This was scouting party last seen, said Nyssa. Only one came back, in dark, no sight of creature. What a godsforsaken place, muttered Elmanda, his hand on his sword pommel. Yes, said Owen, I do not like it one bit, I... He was interrupted by a call from Tomta, who had explored the other side of the pond. They rushed round and saw a horrific sight. Three gnome corpses lay piled in a heap. Their flesh had almost entirely been torn off, bones protruding from the remains of their clothing. Tomte and Nisa hissed in dismay. By all the fates, sobbed Mara, what has done this? The rest of the party stood in silence, heads bowed. And then the nightmare came. Something huge and black descended from the tree canopy far above. It swooped down on stunted reptilian wings and crashed into Elmanda with an unearthly shriek, knocking the tall man to the ground. It was huge, at least twice as long as a man is tall. It was reptilian, squat and thick-set, with a great lizard head and a thick muscular tail. All four of its powerful limbs sported brutal-looking claws. As it landed on Elmanda, who screamed in pain and surprise, its forked tongue flicked out, tasting his face. The rest of the party shrank back in fear, then regrouped, knowing that he had to fight for their friend's life. Entering combat. This creature is a giant Draco lizard. As its name suggests, it has dragon-like characteristics, including stubby wings, but this is no dragon. It is a tree dweller, and uses its wings to glide down upon its unsuspecting prey. It cannot fly, but once on the ground it will use its powerful jaws to rip and tear at its victim's flesh. This could get ugly. The giant Draco gets surprised. I rolled a d8 to see who to attack first, and Elmander was the unlucky victim. The fighter is knocked to the ground, costing him two damage. That could have been worse but the lizard is now thrashing around in the middle of the group and could attack any one of them. I've rolled initiative for round one. Elwyn goes first, lashing at the beast with his dagger, but a 12 fails to hit. Tomte goes next, jumping in to attack the Draco from the left side, needing a 15 to hit. He rolls two. His spear clatters harmlessly off the lizard's hide. Gilia shoots at the lizard. She'll get a plus one on top of her normal bonus for the creature's size and proximity. But even with this, she only rolls a 12 in total, and the arrow flies wide. Nisa also shoots, but again, a two misses. Navi lunges in with his hammer, but with a nine, it bounces off the creature's tough hide. Mara casts shield over herself, ready to join the fray. Elmanda rolls a total of 14. He just misses. His pain has obviously affected his concentration. Now the lizard. Rolling a d6. On a 1 to 3, it continues to attack Armanda. 3. Yes, the fighter is still the target. Fortunately, he only rolls a 4 to attack and misses. <coughs> Round 2. 
That was a bad first round for the party, but fortunately it didn't cost them. This time Na'vi is first. 16 hits. Finally, the party draws blood. Na'vi's hammer cracks a rib for 3 damage. Nisa shoots again, but the chaos distracts him and the arrow misses. Elwyn's next attack also fails to wound the Draco. Next is Mara. Using the spell scroll she has just received, she hesitantly chants the arcane words. To her shock, the magic fire bursts from her fingertips, and the missile fires unerringly into the lizard's face, causing five damage. The scroll crumbles in her hands. Achilles is next, rolling 17. With her accumulated bonuses, that is 21, a definite hit, scoring four damage. The tide is starting to turn the party's way. Elmanda scrambles out from beneath the lizard whilst it is distracted and slashes at it. But ten misses. The Draco is angered by the pain it has been dealt. Again, I will see if it continues to attack Elmanda or switches target. High, low. Four. It chooses a new target, who is... Na'vi. It bears down the dwarf, lunging in with its mighty jaws. It rolls a 17. That hits. Its vicious jaws do 1d10 damage. Na'vi has 6 hit points. This could be it for the dwarf. A 6. Oh no. The lizard tears a huge chunk of flesh from Na'vi's shoulder and neck. He screams and collapses. Round 3. There is a sense of shock around the party. Mara, seeing Na'vi's fate, screams and tries to pull him out of range of the beast. Rolling against her strength score, she rolls a natural one. That's really bad luck. Mara trips whilst trying to drag Na'vi's unresponsive body and falls on top of him. <sighs> the lizard senses blood. It turns its attention back to Elmanda, lunging at him with its jaws. A 13 just hits, and it sinks its teeth into Elmanda's fire, but luckily just one more damage. <sighs> Whilst its attention is elsewhere, Kilia sneak attacks. An 18 hits. She doubles her damage, but sadly it is still only 4 hit points. We come back to Na'vi. The basic fantasy rules allow a save versus death once a character is on 0 hit points or below. If the save has failed, the character dies immediately. If it passes, they stabilise for 2d10 rounds, in which time they must be treated, or they will bleed to death. This is the only way to save Na'vi's life. I will roll a d20. Na'vi, as a dwarf, is tough. I only need to get a 7 or more to pass the saving throw, but this is literally a life versus death roll. Here goes. It's a 13. Na'vi has stabilised for 7 more rounds. The party needs to win this fight fast to save his life. Elwyn attacks the now badly wounded creature again, but misses, as does Nisa. Elmanda manages to stand and swings his short sword in a mighty arc. Now 20. He can double his damage this round. And gets a 10. Elmanda's sword flashes across the lizard's throat, opening a gaping wound as its lifeblood pours out. The lizard collapses with one final defiant shriek. 
and dies. The combat is over. Silence descended on the clearing. Mara ran to Navi's prone body, joined by Kilia. Elmanda turned his back and aimed a kick at the dead lizard's face, swearing loudly in fury, whilst Elwyn kept a discreet distance. Kilia, quick! The potion! Mara urged. Kilia nodded and fumbled in her backpack. She brought out the glass vial, mercifully unbroken, and poured it down the dwarf's ruined throat. They had to hold his neck together so that the liquid did not spill through the gashes. Please work! Please work! mumbled Mara, sobbing. Kilia loosened the dwarf's leather armour in a desperate attempt to unblock his airwaves. The dwarf lay still. Kilia searched for a pulse, but could not find one. She looked up at Mara and shook her head slowly. Mara beat the floor. No! 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 A somber mood took the party. Elmanda stopped his impotent attacks on the lizard and stood with his hands cupping his head. Then there was a cough. <coughs> they looked up sharply. Narvi's eyes had opened wide and he was taken in great ragged gasps of air. His back arched as the potion took effect and the party watched in amazement and joy as the wound in his neck shrank back and closed up. They crouched around him and lifted him into a seated position. I... I saw him, said the dwarf, an expression of ecstasy on his face. I... saw... Gazan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories from the First Watch. That was the closest I have got to losing one of the party members, and I must confess, I was very glad when Na'vi passed that saving throw. The party have all survived, for now. For this episode, I would like to thank Emily Cohen, who voiced Walia, the Queen of the Gnomes. We may yet hear more from this mysterious ruler. I'd also like to thank Ryan Watts for his epic guitar work during the combat sequence. Join me next time for more stories from the first watch. Do you like your tabletop RPGs to be grim, gritty and grounded? If so, then Legend of the Bones is the podcast for you. A mix of old school solo D&D and dark fantasy storytelling. In Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There are no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no meta-currency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.